You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Welcome to Sakina Society. Towards tranquility in an age of turbulence. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Sakina Society. My name is Zenit. And today's topic is caring for the elderly and end-of-life care. Discussing this with us, we have in the first part, we have Sheikh Amr and Sister Yasmin. And in the second part, Dr. Rafiq Gardi, who is a palliative uh, care specialist. So we have a unique situation in Scotland. There's a growing number of, number of elderly population and a young generation that haven't yet seen elders and a lot of their parents pass away. So this poses different different questions in terms of care. So we're going to start with speaking to Sheikh Amr about this. So our parents are ageing. Sheikh, what are our obligations to our parents and how do we balance them with practicalities? Well, it's interesting because um, we're in the month of, of Ramadan and uh, there's a hadith where the Prophet Sallam uh, was climbing the member and he said, Amin three times. And then the Sahaba didn't see anything. They said, why did you say Amin three times? He said, because Jibreel alayhi salam came down mm-hmm. and he said three things and I said, I mean, each time. The first, uh, or three things. One of them was, um, whoever my name is mentioned, or words of the Prophet's name is mentioned and doesn't pray upon me, may he be, may he be perished. So he said, I mean. Mm-hmm. Then uh, one was about forgiveness, that Ramadan came to somebody and it wasn't a means for him to be forgiven. May he be perished. And the Prophet uh, said, I mean. And interestingly, one of mm-hmm. them, one of the, the last category or one of the cat- one of the three categories was somebody who had one or two parents, yet they were not a means for that person to enter paradise. So meaning that if you have an elderly parent, one parent or two parents, mm-hmm. they're a means for you to attain paradise. Um, and so, you know, if you if you have that, it's actually a, it's, you need that rather than them. Mm-hmm. You need to look after them for your own salvation. And as a hadith. Um, that many people should really reflect upon, where the Prophet said, "Al-walidu jannah," that the parent um, is the middle uh, or the, the middle doors to paradise. So again, the same kind of understanding from both hadith that your parent is a means for you to attain uh, paradise, and it's not just. I mean, no, forget your parents. This hadith about. Uh, people who are not your parents. So another hadith says, Al-Khala to be manzilatil um, that the Khala, which is your mother's sister, has the same station as your mother. So in other words, not only should you be good to your mother, but you should also be equally good to your mother's sisters. Um, and uh, another hadith that says, Abalul birri and yasila rajlu wudda abi, that uh, one of the, the greatest kind of virtuous actions is for a man to be good to his father's friends. Wow. Now in the father, the father's friends. So in other words, who did your father, you know, who was his best friends in, in life? Who were the people that he used to yeah. turn to, who used to support him, help him out? When your father's long gone, mm-hmm. you should actually still, uh, those spe- specific people, mm-hmm. you should um, go out your way to, to keep in contact with them and ask mm-hmm. them, Uncle, how are you doing? Can I do anything for you? So if this is how we're supposed to treat your father's friends, what about the station of the father itself and the reason for that is very simple is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made those people mm-hmm. the, me- the the cause of your um, existence mm-hmm. so you know 
I exist in this world. I could not have existed without my mother and father. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to count for everyone apart from Isa, alayhi salam, who wasn't born with, you know, was born just with a mother, and Adam, alayhi salam, who didn't have a father or mother. But apart from that, every single person came into this world through the actions of their mother and father. They can't exist without them. So just the yeah. fact that they brought you into existence mm-hmm. in itself is enough of, um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, enough of a reason for them to have a massive, um, uh, I'd say, influence over your life, but not just influence, but uh, station mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a companion who was carrying his mother yeah. and, um, you know, in tawaf, he was carrying mm-hmm. his mother because she couldn't walk. And the Prophet ﷺ basically said that you've not even repaid one suckling from the breast, you know, that, that she gave you. That's not even equivalent to one. So you and we know these hadith about you, know, the, the, the paradise is at the feet of your mother. Mm-hmm. And I can go on and on. I mean, the, it's, it's endless. endless. I can keep going on and on and on. But the point is that, um, especially your parents, mm-hmm. after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after the Prophet ﷺ, then it comes your parents. Mm-hmm. So these are, are people who... and Anyone who's a parent will know um, that how much you go through for your children. They mm-hmm. keep you up at night. Yeah. You know, I mean, when my wife goes uh, goes out um, every so often <laughs> and leaves me with the kids, um, just just you know, uh, changing you just changing nappies, yeah. <laughs> just changing nappies. You're just like you're changing a nappy. You're like, oh my god, right? I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and then you change a nappy, so and then by that time, there's somebody on upstairs in the toilet calling you. Mm-hmm. To come and wash mm-hmm. them, and you, and then you realize my mum did this day in day Absolutely. out for me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not completely throughout your life, but you know, <laughs> up until up until you're self sufficient. So, mm-hmm. but the thing is, you weren't there to remember those things. It's only now that you're experiencing it with your own children, you realize what your parents do, and they keep yeah. you up at night. And you know, uh, something happens, you need to to hospital, and you you know, is there for hours and hours because you're kid. So. Um, you know, your, your dad used to say this kind of thing. I'll oh, see when one day you're a parent, you'll know, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're you're remembering those words, yeah. And you're thinking, I'm going to be saying the same words to my kids, yeah. Because mm-hmm. one of those things you only get through experience. So that's just in general, but in general um, about the parents. But on top of that, just generally with the elderly, there are hadith just about ikram of the shayb al Muslim to be generous to uh, somebody of old age. Uh, the hadith that probably many of us know, Laysa Minna Man Yarhamu Sagirna Sharaf Kabirana, that he's not amongst us who's not merciful to the young and respectful to the elders. Mm-hmm. One hadith I remember uh, when we studied it was interesting because the sh- the, our teacher took a, an interesting um, ishara or mm-hmm. like indication from the hadith. And the hadith was that whoever is kind or whoever is generous to an old person because of their age mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will um, when that person gets old they will also replace them with a person who will be kind generous to them so in other words if you look after the elderly if you're good to them when you get old Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ensure that somebody is there to look after you and the, the shaykh said in that hadith is an ishara that you have a long life yeah. that you will live, mm-hmm. to, live to long age so I think what I think if you looked at your parents as um, your ticket to paradise, yes. 
then you know you wouldn't you wouldn't ask all these kind of questions of who's supposed to look after them. You'd be vying to look after them. You'd be no, I want to I want to look after them because this this could be the easiest way for me to help get salvation. Yeah. I might not get salvation through all the other actions that I'm doing, but this one I definitely Absolutely. know is very close to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So so you know putting putting care homes and things aside, you know, what we should be saying is, you know, I want to do everything to accommodate for my parents possible, no matter what that is, you know, whether that's, you know, keeping them with me and taking care of them the best way I can. Yeah, um, and, and the thing is, we, we know of um, the power of a parent's dua. Yeah. You know, if you look after your parents and they make dua for you, especially in old age in a weak state, mm -hmm. that dua is, is more very likely to be accepted. Um, you know, we know many hadiths like this where, you know, the, the person made dua and it affected the child. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was teaching just the other day about three three children, the hadith about three children who spoke when they were infants. One was Isa alayhi salam, Jesus mm -hmm. from the cradle. Another one is a, a person called Juraj. And the story goes that he's praying. He was a, he's a, a pious person who's praying and his mother called him. Mm -hmm. And he said, he was kind of debating in his mind, should I pray or should I cut my prayer or should I keep praying? And he mm -hmm. kept praying. And she says, she says that the second day as well, the same thing happens. And he doesn't know whether he should um, cut his prayer or not. And, we, and in fact, in fiqh, when you're praying nafal prayer and your parent calls you, you're supposed to cut your prayer. So that That's shows you how important, important yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. So anyway, she, he doesn't. And then his mother says, may you live long enough to see the, the face of adulteresses. Mm -hmm. So she makes a dua against him. Uh, because she was upset, and this is exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. The the people then, you know, yeah. uh, are, are trying to test his piety and say, then and this woman of ill repute says, look, I'll, tr I'll seduce him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like a bet, you know, I'll seduce him, and they say, no, no, he's he's pious, there's no way. Mm -hmm. And she fails at, at seducing him, but um, she goes and fornicates with a, a shepherd and has a child and says that this child is his. Mm -hmm. So the people then, you know, start attacking him. Mm -hmm. And Juraj then prays to Allah and then he speaks to the to the baby and the baby says, No, he says, Who's your father? And he says, The father's a, a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And then when they see that miracle, they're like, you know, he's he's saved. Yeah. So I mean it was his worship that came to his his mm -hmm. um his aid. But the point was that the the, the the thing that his mother had said had come true. Yes. So mm -hmm. we have to be careful of how we, we treat so our parents could make dua against us. You're not supposed to do it, but if they do it, it can have catastrophic mm -hmm. consequences. And if you look after them, what they're going to do, they're just going to make dua for you. They're going to make dua. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't, that in itself is 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 is, uh, is priceless. In fact, there's even narrations that even to look at your parent with love is an act of worship. So if you have parents living with you, you get to do that every day. You know, um, that's a that's an opportunity, isn't it? And then one day that opportunity is no, will no longer be there because love averages your parents will die before you. Yeah. So at some point they're here today. You see them as a burden, but tomorrow they're going to be gone, mm -hmm. and then you'll be wishing, I wish I wish this, I wish that. You know, it's too late. I wish I had just made made that given them that mm -hmm. one room, you know, in my home mm -hmm. where they would have you know been with me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's and I think what we're facing actually is that. That you know that we're that that parents are kind of being left on their own. They are being maltreated, um, and that kind of um, honour that we should give our parents is no isn't is, isn't there a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, you'll there's a varying um, you know kind of issues within the community and varying kind of um, you know kind of stories that you're hearing in terms of the abuse of the elderly um, and 
and don't think it doesn't happen uh, in, in terms of our, our community. It does. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, there was, you know, sheltered accommodation for yeah. um, for, 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 for our elderly um, population, and that was about saving them, um, you know, from environments where they were being abused within their own homes. And I think that we can't be complacent and think that, oh, nothing can, you know, that, oh, that our elderly are looked after by the extended family. It doesn't always happen like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we do need to be uh, aware of, of those issues mm -hmm. and make provision for them so mm -hmm. that they are not having to kind of um, suffer the changes. I mean, I had spoken about uh, previously the, the impact of changes on children. Uh, when, uh, when, our, uh, when, our, when our parents become elderly, they become childlike as well. Mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. um and they can't afford to be in new environments mm -hmm. they struggle to be in a, in, a, in a new house a new flat or moved away from everything they know they need everything around them to be the same yeah. and i think research has shown that if uh, people are you know if the elderly are moved from place to place it actually reduces their um their, their, their lifespan okay. because they, they they can't they can't deal with um that level of change so it's, you know, you have to be very careful uh, in terms of, you know, change for the elderly as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to realise that how comforting it is for, uh, you know, a mum, you know, if she's on her own, that how she, that she knows how to put the cooker on, mm -hmm. that she knows where the light switches are within her home. And yeah. so it, it's, very, it's very difficult for, um, for, for the elderly and you should appreciate that they have many challenges in That's terms of their uh, frailty, their, in terms of their poor health. Um, you know, and, and, and they will need you to kind of um, give them that bit more care. So, and obviously, sometimes our, um, you know, our, our kind of parents sometimes don't kind of help themselves sometimes, or they don't stay as active as they could. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really important that, that, you know, that our parents do stay active because that will keep them healthy, yes. less kind of likely to kind of develop illnesses as well. So it's very important that we promote healthy, healthy lifestyles mm -hmm. so that they're able to maintain, you know, good health. They're able to go out a walk every day, for instance, um, you know, they're able to maintain, a, a, you know, a good level of health because all of those things will help them, you know, as they do get older. It'll also kind of give them, you know, kind of some time out. It's always very positive for emotional well-being yes. that they have, you know, that they've got good support networks, that they're mm -hmm. able to kind of go out to mm -hmm. day centres where they're able to meet other, um, you know, el elderly kind of people. They're able to connect with their community again. They're mm -hmm. able to have a have a chat, etc. Yes. All those things are really positive for the elderly to be able to do um and and as and and as their child you should be promoting that okay that's that's really really insightful um and given that you know you've you've decided you, you might start seeing early signs of, of sort of maybe aging or you're, you've realized suddenly that your parents are, are getting older and they're not able to look after themselves what do you both think when you know when's the best time to sit down and have this discussion with your siblings or is it with your parents you know that you have this discussion um because, I mean, for, for a lot of us, we move away and, you know, it's just a sudden realisation that actually I think our parents need, need our support now. Mm -hmm. so. And I think it, it's, a, it's a, a tough tough conversation to have with your siblings because if your siblings are not living within the proximity of being in and around where, yeah. where, where your mother or your father stays, stays, it's very difficult for them to kind of take on the responsibilities mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that you would need to have. Because when they, when your parents are that bit more older, there's going to be more frequent hospital appointments. There's going to be you're going to be the one that's going to take them to wherever they need to go. Mm -hmm. Say it's to to see their friends. Say it's to a 
social gathering, you know, they will need transport. And all of that requires you to be you to be physically in and around them to be able to mm-hmm. kind of do all of those things. So I think that um, as a, as a, as a child, obviously, kind of contributing financially towards your parents, um, you know, up, you know, to kind of their upkeep is is one of the ways that you know it's helpful that they don't have any money worries, for instance, um, mm-hmm. or that they've got extra money to kind of get taxis even or someone to kind of go take them from a to b so that's one way of facilitating something Mm -hmm. and in terms of your siblings yep absolutely you should be sharing you know the the, the care of 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 your mother or your father in terms of being able to kind of take off some of the burden i suppose on maybe the brother or sister who who, whose house they live in Mm -hmm. because obviously that will help them as well and it will also help your parent in terms of being able to kind of have a life you know and uh, and be able to kind of make sure that that their appointments etc are happening mm-hmm. it's you know when it's important that those things are shared it's important that th- those conversations are had but i think uh, more importantly i think your parents shouldn't feel that they're a burden you need to try not to kind of create that yeah um and so i think it's important that you are an adult that you have those conversations so that you can deal with it in in the b- best way you possibly can yeah when the time comes yeah mm-hmm. When, <clears throat> when they do get to a certain age, they start behaving childlike. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just like they looked after you when you were a child, now it's your turn to look after them. It's just quite simple, to be honest. Yes. And um, the other thing I'd say to people is that be careful because your your children are watching. Mm-hmm. So if you um, don't treat them with respect, if you don't treat them with love, if you don't go out your way for them, then your children are, are looking at that as an example and they will do the exact same to you. Yeah. Um, and what I would say is that y- use that opportunity, especially if you got if they've got grandchildren, mm-hmm. get the grandchildren to spend time with them because the wisdom that they'll gain, the the, the things that they'll and people will say that in it. I was taught this by my granddad or my, my grandmother taught me this. They've got a wealth of experience of whole, the whole lifetime of yeah. experience, mm-hmm. and um, they also they've got, have and time. they've got they've got time. Yeah, they've yeah, got time. They've got time to spend and sit with your your grandchildren. I mean, I was. Uh, I just went um, swimming uh, before I came here and uh, I had my, my daughter with me and it was one of my relatives, but he, he was he was with his grandchildren, mm-hmm. you know, so he um, was with his grandchildren and it was, just, it was just watching the dynamics between him and his grandchildren and you could see it was a great relationship, they had a great relationship mm-hmm. and that's memories, you know, that their their grandchildren are going to remember, my, da- my granddad used to take me swimming, they're going to have fond memories. And um, and he goes, oh, my, my, my son and daughter, they're away on holiday or something, so I'm looking after the, the kids. Yeah. I thought I'd just bring them down here. So I think it gives the grandparents something to do as well. It gets them out. They get, they've got time. Mm-hmm. They're, going to impart, they're going to impart good manners. They're going to impart good morals. Absolutely. And they're going to give stories. You know, they're going to give all that kind of stuff. And, and grandchildren love grandparents because they spoil them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they have that soft spot for them. So... Um, that's a v- very valuable um, part of um, uh, for it's the, a valuable for the grand- asset. For the, yeah, for the grandchild and also for the grandparent um, to see. And the thing is, that they're going to just like they had that love and compassion for their own child. They're going to they have even more for the grandchildren. So they're an asset. They're an asset. I've said before, they're your ticket to paradise. They ha- have got so much to give. Yeah. Um, but we. Are not, not are not looking at them as an asset. We're looking at them as a burden. Where, where is there a blessing? <coughs> where is there a blessing? They're a blessing, yeah. yeah they're, not they're, a burden. 
they're a blessing and, and like I said, every time you look at them with love is an act of worship. So Allah's, Allah's given you an e very easy way of uh, gaining closeness. And we know hadith about a person that went, wanted mm -hmm. to go and fight in the path of Allah and uh, the Prophet asked him, do you have parents? Mm -hmm. And he said, go and look after your parents. Okay. You know, so, yeah. uh, and there's even a question, I don't want to get into this, but there's a fit question that yes. if your parents tell you to divorce um, your wife, should you obey them or not? Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that that question exists mm -hmm. shows mm -hmm. you what status and importance um, your parents have. Yeah. So it, it puts the question out the window, like who and who do you care? Who who cares for them and how do you care for them? You know, we should all be saying, yeah, it's going to be me. And, you know, I can't wait for that opportunity to earn all that reward. Um, so, Sheikh, on one hand, obviously we have we have the ageing and on the other, there are those that are that are at the end of their life or terminally ill. And I know that possesses its own challenges in terms of support, as we'll hear for, from Dr. Muhammad Rafiq Gardi. But for families and friends, how do you console the terminally ill in their families? Um, I've, I've dealt with a few cases. I remember one particular case. I can't remember what, what, what um, condition the person had. Uh, but it was clear, I mean, he was, he was uh, his condition was getting worse. He was going to pass away. Got to a point he couldn't actually speak anymore. Mm. And he would just write out the letters and his wife would say, okay, whatever it was. So, and the actual family came out to me and said, Sheikh, he wants sincere advice on what he should be doing. Right. And we'd asked another family friend who was also there, but he couldn't do it. He just broke down in tears. Mm. And um, he goes, he just wants somebody to be honest with him. Yeah. So I had to go in with a family and I had to basically spell it out and as you know I'm a bit more straight straight talking than most people um, but I had to basically say look look brother um, it's time you know uh, we're all going to go I'm going to go you're going to go everyone's going to go um, but look at this as an opportunity that mm -hmm. you have this opportunity now until whenever you're going to pass this is your chance to repent Allah's given you a chance to repent. You can repent for whatever, anything in your life. You can't speak, no problem. Do it in your heart. Mm -hmm. Do it in your heart. Ask forgiveness from your from your loved ones. If there's anything you want to, to say, you know, in terms of inheritance, all that kind of stuff, you can do that now. Sort all that out. And I said, look, um, you know, this is a way of Allah purifying you. Because we know that for, every, for even the prickling of a thorn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes your sins away. So any discomfort you have in this life, mm -hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wiping your sins away. Mm -hmm. So what's better? Is it better that I go forward with all my sins and Allah holds me to account? Or is it better I have a little bit of discomfort in this world and Allah wipes my sins away and I'm purified? So it's actually a rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, there's so many lessons in, in being ill and terminally ill at the end of your life. Yeah. It humbles you. It brings you back down to earth of who you are and who your creator is. Mm -hmm. um, it's a purification. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a number of, of, of things that are going on uh, from from a, like a, a spiritual perspective. And it's actually positive. Um, and there's also a hadith that, that, you know, you should ask the sick person to make dua for you. So I said to him, okay. and you make dua for us. Yeah. You, know, you're, you know, you're in a special state that you mm -hmm. can make dua for us. So, yes. so I'm asking you to... And the thing is, everyone was crying. I was crying. He was crying. You know, it was that conversation. But I said, "Look, this is it. From now, it's you and you and you and God. And when you go go away from this world, it's going to be you and Allah. 
everyone else becomes secondary. And this mm-hmm. is a thing that, um, you know, that the same people, when I go on Hajj, mm-hmm. I've been going for a couple of years, and you see people, you know, pushing their, their, their parents around in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And I think, I just reflect on the verse, that these people, you love them so much, you're pushing them around. On a day of judgment, you will not want to know them. You know, that, that your brother, your mother, your father, mm-hmm. it will be just you and Allah. And that's the thing. Your relationship with God supersedes every other relationship. Yeah. Every other relationship comes secondary after that. Mm-hmm. So this, when a person's terminally ill, you think about it. Someone has a heart attack, they, they die. Yeah. They don't get a chance to repent. They don't get a chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. That's actually harder for the family to, to come to terms with because one minute the person was there, next minute they're not. Mm-hmm. When they're terminally ill, they've got cancer or something, they know, okay, the doctors have said six months. Yes. It gives you a period of time to prepare for that next journey, next part of your journey. Yeah. It gives your family time to prepare to say goodbye to you as well. Yes. It gives you time to put your things in order, your will, um, you know, ask for forgiveness from your parents, ask for forgiveness from your siblings. It's a, it's actually, uh, I personally see it as a rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. and not what you normally think is, is a tribulation and mm-hmm. it's difficult and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's yes. a negative thing. I actually see it as a positive thing. Jazakallah for your insight and shedding some light on the, on the importance of looking after our parents and the elderly. We've just heard from Sheikh Amr about the importance and the blessings in looking after your parents. And Sister Yasmin touched on some of the acute needs of the elderly. To elaborate on this and the practical side of looking after their, the elderly in their, in their last days and the terminally ill, we have with us Dr. Gardy, a GP with a specialism in palliative care. And Dr. Gardy will, will take us through some of the practical steps that, that we should be prepared for, for this reality. So Dr. Gardy, Assalamualaikum. Thank you for coming on the show. Assalamualaikum, Thanks for having me on board. Okay, so we want to start just by, I mean, palliative care is maybe a new term for a lot of people, um, especially mm. those who haven't experienced death, uh, you know, an elderly person dying. Could you define what, what that means or what, what it means to, you know, end of life care is? Well, yeah, as you were saying, Sister Zina, that there are lots of misconceptions about palliative care and it's going to be an increasingly common di- discussion we're going to have with our GPs and with our families. But palliative care in, in its essence is not about stopping any form of care. It's actually about enabling people to live well until the very end, whatever their disease or trajectory or illness is, mm-hmm. providing that kind of care and support until the very end. It's not about just stopping all forms of care. So that's a kind of important distinction for palliative care because some people have misconceptions that palliative care is just about stopping everything and waiting for the end. It's actually about Mm -hmm. keeping people as comfortable, as pain-free and in as much comfort as they can until the end. Jazakallah Hare. And at what point do do you start thinking? What's the first step you should start thinking about? Well, as our elderly parents, relatives, or even other members of our community, but those of us that have parents that are close to us and that are starting a decline. If you notice that things are starting to become mislaid in the house, that they're struggling with their concentration, that they're not necessarily getting all their shopping in or missing items, forgetting names and dates, you know, mm-hmm. a general or slight decline is maybe the, the early warning signs to start looking into a possible care plan, to start having more discussions with a GP yeah. because obviously following Sheikh Amr's discussion and great input about the the importance of our parents. Yes. It's more about practical tips that I can offer 
the first critical step I would have to say is opening a frank and honest dialogue with their GP. Okay. In other words, to go with your parent or a relative, if mm -hmm. possible, to the GP appointment and start discussions, particularly on these topics. And when you do go for these discussions, um, to come there with an initial realistic uh, outlook on how much is possible to do in this first few appointments. Mm -hmm. And this might not be one appointment that solves all things, but there may be a gradual series of appointments to discuss what is available, what is the current situation, and for the GP themselves to reassess your elderly parent, because they may not have seen them for a number of years yeah. and not actually know that they have gone through this, this decline or that their behavior has changed or that their sleeping pattern mm -hmm. has changed, because obviously they don't know, it, know the patient from the same intimate standpoint as we would as relatives. Okay. And that good dialogue with the GP then, because the GP in a lot of senses is one of the good gateways for social work to be initiated. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can, if we have a social work concern or there's a concern from be it elderly or even children point of view, we ourselves can take that to local social work. Mm -hmm. But in our community and in our mind, in this in our ethnic group, so to speak, it's a, there's a reluctance to go and seek outside help and it's perceived as outside, whereas mm -hmm. the resources are actually all there and in place to the extent of even translators that are available on the phone. Yeah. Okay. So the first point of call would be to open a good discussion with your GP. Mm -hmm. That allows your relative to, while they're still functional and while they still have capacity to make decisions, to yeah. kind of give everyone... Uh, a roadmap of how they would like to be cared for mm -hmm. if I was to decline. Yes. And that's a very important phrase or a very important way to look about it. As I get more ill, how would I like to be cared for and where would I like to be cared for? Because for some people, they, they have various choices they wish to make. They would not want to have the emotional burden sometimes as they see it of mm -hmm. uh, passing away at home and yeah. then the associated memories of a particular room of a particular place pass on to their family and they would rather pass away in a hospital but involving them in the discussion when they have capacity is really important it's quite a difficult conversation to have mm, with your with your parents or, or with anyone that's that's elderly because you don't anticipate that they're going to go mm. nor do you want to face that reality um but of course, yeah. as Muslims, we should always be aware of death being imminent. Yeah, as some of the Sahaba lived, I mean, they would live between the two salams of their salah, not not knowing when they would would pass. I mean, that's historically quite guided for us on topics of that. But again, this is a blessed month of Ramadan. Yeah, reminders of our the afterlife or what is to come is no doubt good for and reflective for the, any believer. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Another practical step, even if you don't, you're not the elderly relative or elderly yourself, is to make a clear will. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because that is significant for everyone. You know, it has obviously tax, financial, etc., legal implications if you were to die without a will, and create can create a whole host of family problems and disputes, whatnot, if this isn't done with clarity. But yeah. I would also say, even for people that are younger and don't anticipate passing away in the near future mm -hmm. um, in this blessed month if you actually sit and make out your will it can quite it soften the heart because you realize mm -hmm. that I too am about to go at some stage having that clear and your affairs in order also gives you as well as your parent or elderly relative that peace of mind that everything is sorted yeah that you know things aren't going to become disrupted or argumentative mm -hmm. after they pass 
once a, an effective and valid will is in place, if there is a, some cognitive decline, everyone that is related to the person is at peace because this will was made before they started having a mental decline. In terms of having a care plan, you know, what, what, what do you mean when you say care plan? Care can, plans can be as simple as a, just a discussion saying, look, if I was to fall really ill, please don't send me to hospital. Mm. I don't want to go to hospital. So that is actually a very simple but elegant care plan. Okay. But at least think about that. If things were to happen, everyone knew that, you know, Auntie Bibi didn't, never wanted to go to hospital. Mm-hmm. And those people, the, the, whoever they're with, whether it's their daughters or whether it's still a spouse, they are still the primary carers or mm. do they also get access to some kind of help or service? Well, also the, the primary carers that are around a person can be varied in our community predominantly it's spouse it's your siblings it is your offspring um, but the primary carers can indeed get other forms of relief and okay. one of our the great things about our local hospices some people perceive our local hospice as just the your place when it no more hospital admissions would be possible mm-hmm. and that's not quite so, because hospices can offer a lot in terms of other services, even to, to the effect of meeting other patients with a terminal diagnosis okay. or a, a palliative diagnosis, to talk with them on a patient-to-patient basis without relatives about, to have good days and bad days with other people with similar diseases, can be quite uplifting to some people to see mm-hmm. how pe- other people are coping and what coping strategies they use. But the hospices, in a broader context, also offer uh, respite. And that's a stay of a, a short-term stay for someone with a terminal diagnosis to allow the families a bit of space and time for possibly some of those resources, such as a shower or a bed or a lift, to be fitted in the house yep. without a lot of disruption to the person with the illness. Yep. So respite care is also a very useful way of accessing or using the local hospice under that context without necessarily staying there until the end. Mm-hmm. So we have lots of local hospices and the channels for them are wide open and accessible to all. Yep. So again, there's some there's some help there for people that think that they have to do it all themselves. There's, you know, it's not, a, it can be... No, there's you know, a significant number of other resources and not just from a hospice point of view. There's the Macmillan nurses, there's Marie Curie nurses. These are nurses with more specialist cancer and palliative care backgrounds that can help and they can actually come and sit overnight Mm-hmm. In other words, provide care while the family members sleep and rest mm-hmm. for the duration of the night. And you know, obviously they have discussions. If they were to deteriorate, please wake us. There are lots of things that can be discussed with the, the Marie Curie or the, the Macmillan nurses should they come and actually be in your house. Yes. These are also available to us and already in place. In essence, we don't need to reinvent the wheel for all these services. We just need to understand that they're available to us mm-hmm. as a community. But as a community, that's one of the things I was going to touch on further on. We need to possibly encourage or sponsor or provide scholarships for our community to enter into these fields and encourage them. Because as you've seen, as there's all significant information in the news about the elderly Muslim population and about the need for services in the future, we need to start laying the foundations for those services now Mm -hmm. so that when we are indeed in that position, there will be young people or people of the caliber and qualifications from yeah, our community that can step in and provide a guidance and advice. But we're 
Yeah, to basically to have the adequate services already there because they're fantastic. The services are, are that are that are out there right now are fantastic, and we've heard it again and again in different shows that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need more Muslims maybe in there, or maybe some more representation of the Muslims in those services. And you know, you were saying that, and it just reminded me of of a documentary that I watched of a care home that was opened up. Mm. The um, one down south. The one down south. Yeah, and aging gracefully. Asian, no, Asian gracefully. gracefully yeah. And, and a lot of the siblings were saying that, you know, they uh, sorry, a lot of the sons and daughters said that they felt really guilty um, that they had to put their parents because of some some people might be single mothers and then, you know, they just can't, they just cannot look well, at This is the modern society we live in, which is very different from what our parents or grandparents grew up in. Absolutely. They grew up in a in a far more family-centered environment mm -hmm. where there wasn't actually even social work in the background. If we go back to several of the countries that we our community comes from, social work doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's whether you have enough siblings or progeny that will help support you in your old age, whereas here we have access to some of these services. Alhamdulillah, it's a, it's a blessing. This is a great blessing. But, but um, the one thing I was going to say that struck me about the show was that this care home was, was all... I mean, everyone in there was spoke the language. All the food was catered. All the channels were Asian, and you know, they, they there was Urdu and Hindi channels, and everyone, the, all the staff was South Asian. So I don't know if that's. I mean, but then it, I don't know. It begs the question: What was the quality of it? It was just something. But that's also available. It's in, in terms of those communities down south, such as Bradford, which have a, a majority, mm -hmm. if you would say, ethnic or polycultural background, they also have the same size of population of skills to draw upon. Absolutely. To, to fill these posts. Yeah. I mean, you I've see, heard Bradford is really well represented with... with but that areas. comes obviously with that that proportion of what who, who is available in the local community as a talent pool to draw upon for these services. So we are also in a slightly different position here in Scotland as we are indeed a minority. So our talent pool has uh, for generations been emphasized to shift if you, yeah. in terms of you must have the following profession or you should mm -hmm. be in this profession, and we haven't allowed our community as much organic room to grow. Mm -hmm. Now that we're in talking third and fourth generations, you can see that starting to happen into a wider spread of subspecialities mm -hmm. within our community that wasn't even discussed by our great-grandparents. There was only essentially, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were only two professions back in the day. Doctor. Yeah, you were a doctor, lawyer, engineer. You know, <laughs> There was no other qualifications which you could obtain, mm -hmm. which was deemed legitimate. But now that we've moved away from such stereotypical models that come, come with us, we can sponsor, hopefully, some people to enter into these posts and provide them with the scholarships sure, yeah. or bursaries as encouragement to go into these professions, to, yeah. to lay the groundwork that will be, the seeds will now be sown for future years, so to speak. Absolutely. So Other yeah, points and practicalities I can bring in next. Mm -hmm. I was going to touch on the next one. Because on. it is a blessed month of Ramadan and we are meant to do ikram, not only for our elders, for, but for the elders around us. So although we may be isolated from our parents or our family, they may be on another continent, they may be back in their home countries, we can still do ikram and be community-minded by caring for the elders that live around us. We all know in our be it our tenement or in our in our neighborhoods, there are a few elderly aunts and uncles, so to speak, that are living solitary lives. So in this, you know, blessed and alhamdulillah month of full of Mubarak, we can actually then go and be neighborly. Mm -hmm. In other words, do small neighborly acts of kindness, be that taking over the occasional, you know, 
pot of food, be that helping tidy someone's lawn. You know, these small acts create a sense of community. And obviously they carry a lot of blessings because we are meant to take care of the elderly around us. And obviously Sheikh Amr and any one of the scholars could correct me, but we, there's a lots of rights of neighbors, even upon ourselves, to care for our neighbors mm-hmm. in terms of even the number of houses that we're responsible yep. for around our, where, where we live. So in this blessed month, we could take opportunity to actually then be of khizmat or service to our community in small ways. But that is the right thing to do on further practical points for someone with, let's say, an elderly relative. We've now covered the, you know, making a will is important. Mm -hmm. Speaking in open channels with your GP is important. Discussing it with family is important. Mm -hmm. Now, coming to discussing with family, we may not all be here at the same time. So... If you have, let's say, or blessed with a millionaire relative, for example, in Australia, mm-hmm. okay, and they can't leave their business or their obligations there to help, okay. they can help in other means, mm-hmm. you know, and creating, you don't need to create a, a, a fund me page, so to speak, but that's the kind of avenue I was tra- gently pointing towards to create what are the needs for Auntie Bibi, so to speak, if I'm going to use that term. Does she need a bed? And can we get a bed earlier or will we have to wait? And if, it, if it's a long wait for social services, could, we, uh, could you sponsor Auntie Bibi's bed for a couple of weeks so she gets a nice air mattress? Mm. And if you're a millionaire in Australia and can't leave, but you love Auntie Bibi and want something to be done for her, that is something that could be possibly done. So extending that, the, the scope of care saying, how can you help? We're struggling, let's say, you know, you know the entire family has ancient mobiles. Let's use that as an example. Okay, and you're the millionaire saying, look, can we help you? Because having better tech will enable everyone to stay better up to date. You know, something small like that, that is entirely possible if you have a millionaire relative in Australia, which uh, I, I'm not blessed with yet. <laughs> but these are things that you can bring to board. So having that discussion as to what your elderly relative needs in an open manner with the siblings, obviously, and then extend, allowing it to be extended to other family members saying, look, what are the needs? Mm-hmm. Recognizing that this person is declining and frail and possibly palliative. Mm. That makes it very easy for family also then to also feel that they have contributed in some way, even from abroad. Yep. Another easy thing is uh, using some form of social media for somebody that is undergoing a decline. Uh, don't mean you need to post all their details up on Facebook, but to create a, a WhatsApp group. I have used that or that media for some of my own relatives to so take a picture such uh, uh, and keep it on your mobile because sometimes when somebody is declining or needing rapid readmission to hospital or needs medication or is even traveling abroad, you know, Auntie Bibi has now gone to visit that relative in Australia, mm-hmm. but they don't know the copies or all the up-to-date medications. If that was, you take a picture of that and you created a WhatsApp group amongst your siblings mm-hmm. for that one elderly relative with their obviously consent to share their information and that they won't be used in a broader context, you could see how they could easily share what medications, what is the repeat prescriptions. Mm. What's the latest, what's the current situation? I think that's a fantastic, first time I've heard of using social media for such a, you know, sort of worthy cause. There are some people that don't get palliative care and they miss Mm. out on this. Uh, Do you know how many people miss out on palliative care? Well, the statistics as they stand now are... One of the reasons that I'm so motivated to pursue further palliative care training and palliative care is, uh, unfortunately, one in four people in Scotland will not receive adequate palliative care at the end. Mm. And that's something that obviously we need as to improve as a profession, as a community, and take it 
take it on and forward, but you also have to address the issues. Palliative care is a bit more tricky than somebody with a chronic illness because yeah. palliative care, you can have a diagnosis of ours, in which case, obviously, the realistic proportion or realistic background support is going to be very challenging to put into place. Sure. And that the conditions that people have can obviously be hours, days, weeks, months, and obviously years, but hours, days, weeks, that illness pathway or decline is not necessarily linear or mappable. So people will have moments of lucidity and improvement and then further decline, or they can have a steady and slow decline. So it's not something easy to predict. Mm-hmm. So that why, that's what makes it very challenging to put in resources Mm-hmm. at a moment's notice to somebody who is declining. I mean, if you can imagine somebody dying in a very rural part of Scotland with a palliative care diagnosis, getting social work to them in the first place is a challenge. Yeah. And then getting support and services to them on a regular basis will be a challenge. So choosing where to live can have those kind of implications and understanding that there will be challenges if you do live in a very rural location mm-hmm. for social services to be put in for you to remain there until your your last days. Yeah. So that's why palliative care can't always get it right all the time because mm-hmm. it is not a very predictable or clockwork fashion. We are human beings. We're very complex metabolism and, you know, subhanAllah, it's, in, it's engineered beyond my capacity and it's one of the immense faith-inspiring things about just the human body, that reflection upon it leads you to just say, okay, this is beyond me, but I can can help you in this case. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? When people's individual diagnosis of illnesses and palliative care, that slow or decline, like I was bringing it back to, is hard to predict. And I've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And lots of my colleagues will get it wrong. It's normal. People live longer or shorter. It all depends upon their own also innate spirit, as you could, you could almost call it. Mm-hmm. Some people are fighters. Yes. And some people will persist and fight everything until the end. Mm-hmm. Some people yield very easily mm-hmm. and say, okay, I've had enough. Okay. Enough. Or they've reached a stage in their illness where they have had enough. Where they just want this, is, I'm, I'm done. So it's a month of Ramadan. And people have, you know, people are feeling spiritual, alhamdulillah. Is there anything, you know, you were saying that there's a volunteering opportunity there. Can you just very quickly and oh, yes. summarize that volunteer? Oh, yes, organization or uh, a new charity has sprung up that I've noticed. And one of their, their key phrases was that nobody dies alone. Okay. And I've come across it in a couple of media and I haven't done extensive research into it. But they're a charity that's looking obviously to provide support for people who are alone. Mm-hmm. who don't have any next of kin, who don't have any relatives, so they don't die alone. Wow. And, yeah, that's a very emotive topic, obviously being with somebody. And undoubtedly, the charity will have their, their screening procedures and, and their due checks and safety. But that is a significant thing that I actually see in my professional capacity mm-hmm. on a regular basis where these poor, frail, elderly people have okay. just passed away alone and are found so that's so there it is. If you if you can't give anything this Ramadan or even after Ramadan, but time, that might be something interesting for people to get involved in. Is give company to those that are dying that have no one else. I can imagine that is a scary and lonely thing. But not only that, do uh, give time to our elders in a sense that be with our elders. Yeah. Actually, take them to the masjid instead of necessarily going out to find somebody. Mm-hmm. Take. Chacha or Auntie Bibi to the yeah. masjid or to 
her favorite shop. Actually, spend that time with your elderly relatives in this blessed month. And be patient with them, you know, yes. because that's what Sister Yas was saying, is that elderly can become childlike. So very much so. Be but patient with, with them. That's a very important thing when people have that cognitive decline to try and live where that person is. Yeah. What I'm trying to say there is it can become very stressful if your parent, let's say, still thinks it's 1982 mm. and they're convinced it's 1982 and they believe they're in 1982, but obviously it isn't. That constant discussion and almost argument that, no, this is what's going on, no, this is not what's going on, will lead to frustration not only for you, but also for them because they don't understand what, what's happened to them. They are, they are actually living in 1982. Yeah. So when you have a, a meeting with somebody that has had a de cognitive decline to the extent that they're in a, another time frame, mm -hmm. some of the charities and the, the papers have gently guided us to say, live in their time. Yeah. So that means also when relatives come to visit, they actually you can gently say, look, we know she's not quite there, but as long as you have the discussions understanding that she is in 1982. Yeah, just being aware. She won't yeah. be stressful about it and you won't leave here stressed trying to convince her it's 19, you know, well, 2017. Yeah. I mean, it is something quite new because a lot of us haven't had um, someone... Old, no, there's not been exposure to that. Absolutely. Unless it's your grandparents, which for And a lot of, of our us, we haven't, grandparents we haven't in this community, they've, they've actually gone home. Sorry to talk absolutely. over you. They've actually not remained here. Yeah, so we haven't seen that, that mm. decline. I mean, I have seen some situations where a friend's grandparent has been, and we found it really unusual, we don't really know what to do, but that is going to become our reality with our own parents. I mean, it's scary to think that um, that it's, it might not be any different from them in terms of their cognitive or their physical abilities when they're elderly as well. And inshallah, may Allah Allah give everyone a long, happy, healthy Amen. life right till the end. So that's a good note to end on, inshallah. Jazakallah here again, Dr. Gardy, no, for thanks coming everyone the show on. and discussing that. Uh, we'll be back again at 8pm, inshallah. You've been listening to Sakina Society. Assalamu alaikum. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.